Today on Abounding Grace, Jesus gives Thomas just what he needed to move from unbelieving to believing. This is amazing grace. Hey, welcome again to Abounding Grace. We're in John chapter 20 today. When I mention the disciple Thomas, what comes to mind? Well, if you're like most, you think of the word doubting. But as we'll learn today, Thomas very often gets a bad rap. When he got the news that Jesus was alive, he was not quick to believe. He needed more information. And maybe that's where you're at today. You want some evidence before you'll believe. Here's Pastor Ed Taylor. You see them gather together. It happens to be the day that, they resur- that Jesus resurrected. It's in the evening. They're gathering together. They're assembling. They're assembling because of the fear of the Jews. And, and they're worshiping. Jesus shows up right in the midst. The Sabbath day was a day of rest and a shadow pointing to the rest that was brought by Jesus Christ. So don't let anyone judge you on what day you worship God. Romans chapter 14 verse 5 says, One person esteems one day above another. Another esteems every day alike. Let each be fully convinced in his own mind. Shadows are interesting because shadows are cast by someone or something. The shadow is not the someone or something. Like a photograph, like a picture. You know, when I'm traveling, I have my phone with me, and as I'm praying uh, for my family, or I just want to remember my wife or my kids, I'll pull a picture out. And there it is. It's right on my phone. And it'll bring me comfort, and it'll bring me a great memory. And, and then when I come home, when I come home, and I walk through the door, and Marie wants to greet me, or she wants to give me a hug, I said, no, no, babe, I don't need you, because I have your picture right here. And she's going to be like, whatever, dude. And she'll walk away. But, but if I did that, she's like, you're crazy. What are you doing? Because when you have the real thing, you don't need the picture. And when you have the real thing in the fullness of the new covenant, the types and the shadows are fulfilled. And you can still have that if something, if, if, if the principle of the Sabbath is still with us, the principle of rest is still with us, the principle of working six days and resting one. I mean, God is wise, infinitely wise, that that it's not God's will for you to work seven days a week, 24 hours a day. It's just you work yourself into the ground. You need to rest. But the reality of worship is you can worship on any day. And the church seems to set the pattern in the New Testament of worshiping on the first day of the week. So he comes in, he shows them their hands and his side, which must have been a trip. Uh, it must have been an amazing sight. And, and, and their response in verse 20 was, they were glad. And he breathes on them. We'll get to this in another study. But he breathes on them. And this is where they experience the infilling of the Holy Spirit to take residence in their life. And then he gives them authority to teach and to spread the gospel. He's not giving them the authority to forgive sins like God can, but rather to insert the gospel and the good news into difficult situations. 
We'll look at that in another study as well. Now, verse 24. But Thomas, called Didymus, one of the twelve, mark these words, was not with them when Jesus came. Well, that's a bummer. He missed out. He wasn't with them. The other disciples therefore said to him, we've seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see in his hands the print of the nails and put my finger into the print of the nails and put my hand into his side, notice what he says, I will not believe. And this is one of the places where we learn Thomas's, we learn that Thomas is actually his middle name. His first name is Doubting, unfortunately. How would you like to have that first name? You know, it's just kind of a bad rap. I don't know that he's a doubter as much as he is one of those people, and you have them in your life, that simply needs more evidence before they believe. So I'm not going to believe you guys. I want you to prove it to me. Show me. Give me evidence. And you might be that way today. You're just one of those guys, one of those gals, that evidence means everything to you. Well, I've got good news for you. There is enough evidence in the scriptures and in this room for you to believe. Whatever question you ask, whatever skepticism you might have, there's an answer. You know, a few years ago, Josh McDowell, uh, a very prolific Bible teacher and author, uh, he wrote a couple books just for this reason. Uh, one was called More Than a Carpenter, and another one was Evidence That Demands a Verdict. They're not very popular today, but they are golden. You should grab them if you need to, and it'll help you in ministering the gospel to people. And just recently, uh, I was uh, watching that brand new movie, A Case for Christ, which chronicles the life story of a man by the name of Lee Strobel, who is also a prolific author and Bible teacher. And it's his life story. Uh, he's, he was a, uh, a news reporter, very liberal, uh, and very much into the evidence and very much kind of like an investigative type of reporter. And his wife got saved at Willow Creek Church in Chicago and brings the gospel back in. And he refused to believe. He refused to believe. He refused to believe until one of his co-workers challenged him to use all of his investigative skills to examine the facts. And he went on that path to examine the facts. And wouldn't you know it, God had enough evidence for him and he committed his life to Jesus Christ. And because of that, that conversion, the book Case for Christ and Case for Faith and Case for Grace and all of the other books he's written have blessed literally millions upon millions of people that are just like him that need more evidence. And so if that's you today, we don't judge you. We commend you for not just buying everything hook, line, and sinker, and say, well, I'm just not going to believe it because, you know, the church is this and the Bible is that and, and, you know, the Bible is just written by man and all those things. Believe me, I've said many of them myself before I got saved. But if you give an honest, if you come to God honestly and openly, there will be enough evidence for you. I promise you that. I assure you that. That God is no joke. And Christianity is no game. God, he loved you so much that he sent his only begotten son to die for you and your own failures. Because you know, if you examine your life, you see failure. You may not call it failure because that's kind of a hard word to use. You might say, yeah, you know, I've made a few mistakes in my life. 
I, I know, I know. People that love you know that too, that, that are close to you. They've seen those mistakes. They've experienced the pain and the consequences of those mistakes or failures. I mean, if you can, if you can agree with me that you've made a few mistakes, then, then I'm just going to take you one more step because what you call mistakes, what we call mistakes in our relationship with each other, God calls sin. That's really what the essence of that word is, sin, failure. Really, the word sin is actually not as scary as it seems because the word sin comes to us from the, from the, term, from the archery world, you know, bows and arrows, and it, and it literally means to miss the mark. So, you know, you're pulling back an arrow and you're shooting it and you're shooting it at a target and you're going for, you know, it would be like me because I've tried this. Uh, when I visited uh, Pastor Dominic in St. Cloud, they let me, they put a bow in my hands. And, and I remember pulling it back and I didn't just miss the mark, man. I missed the whole thing. It just phew, went right over, which is pretty, you know, descriptive of my life before Christ. I missed the whole thing. And a lot of people, unfortunately, nobody got hurt <laughs> from that. But a lot of people got hurt from, from my missing the mark or my sin. But the good news, because if you can admit that you've sinned and just kind of get to that place, so yeah, I've sinned. You may not call it sin. You're like, yeah, I made mistakes. And yeah, I failed. Okay. Then the good news about that admission is that God has made a remedy for sin. He, he's, he's made a remedy for that failure. Because what God requires is perfection. That's what he requires. That's his interest. That's the entrance ticket to heaven. Perfection. So if you've made one mistake, then you have no entry into heaven. And here's what the Bible says. The Bible says that we didn't just commit sin. We actually were born into sin. Because you guys, some of you are familiar with the Bible. You may not be, but the Bible opens up with a couple. Actually, it opens up with God. In the beginning, God. And as he's going through the creative process, as God created the world in six literal days, rested on a seventh literal day, in the midst of that, he created two people, human beings, in his image. Adam and his wife, Eve. So they're pretty popular. They get made fun of, and they're in commercials and stuff, but they're real people. That, that's, why, that's why the world likes to make fun of things that are in the Bible. Because if it wasn't real, there'd be nothing to make fun of. There'd be nothing to belittle. So Adam and Eve... They were given this authority in a garden, in a pristine world that God created. And, and they were given authority. They enjoyed God. They enjoyed it. And they were just given one thing to avoid. They're just one thing. Don't make this mistake. Don't make this failure. Don't sin, Adam and Eve. And that is of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, leave it alone. Leave it alone. Don't touch it. You can have everything else. Just don't touch it. And there's a temptation that comes, and that temptation is, is bought into, and what do they do? They take of the forbidden fruit. So you get that phrase, the forbidden fruit. There's a lot of things that are forbidden by God in life. And a lot of folks take of the, that which is forbidden. And that failure on their part, sin, alienated them and separated them from God immediately. Now, God, he forgives them. They're able to have relationship with him, but now they've been touched by sin, and they can't be untouched. So when Adam and Eve, two sinners, procreate, do you know what they create? Little sinners. And on and on and on and on. 
it's hard to believe that, that that sin nature has been passed down all throughout the ages, but it has. And you can see it in your own life as you look in the mirror of the weakness of our lives apart from God. But because of sin, God sent the remedy, forgiveness. You don't have to walk around with guilt and condemnation on, on your shoulders anymore. You don't have to run away from God. You don't have to try to hide. You don't need to drown yourself under those pain pills. You don't. You don't need to drown yourself in alcohol and just kind of veg out in your house. You don't. You don't need to respond in anger. You don't need to cower in fear. God, he wants you to live what's known in the Bible as an abundant life. Now, an abundant life isn't one without pain or sorrow or difficulty, no. But an abundant life is one of faith and strength. And so with Thomas here, I, I don't like him getting a bad rap because he's like just about anyone else. You want more evidence? God will give you more evidence. But you have to be honest about it. Don't be one of those guys that say, I want more evidence. And then when you give, get more evidence, you go, oh, no, I don't believe that. No, I don't believe that. No, I don't believe that. That's not being intellectually honest. At least let's be honest about it. Let's be honest. Well, you know, the Bible. I don't believe the Bible. I think it was written by men. Well, man, let's spend some time and talk about that. We don't have time today. But if that's really your question, email me. I'll send you a small article that you can start chewing on. Do you know that we have more manuscripts and partial manuscripts of this 2,000-year-old book besides the Old Testament than we do of Shakespeare? And I don't think you doubt Shakespeare. Well, I don't think Shakespeare. I don't believe in Shakespeare either. Well, then you've got a big problem, all right? <laughs> because the reality is, is if you're honest with God, he's going to be only honest with you. How do you know that? Right here, keep reading. Oh, Thomas, because you're unbelieving and doubting, God's going to skip over you. Huh. Verse 26. After eight days, his disciple was again inside and Thomas with them. Jesus came and the doors being shut, stood in the midst and said, peace to you. And then he said, who is he talking to now in verse 27? Hey, by the way, Thomas, knucklehead, the one that doesn't believe, the one that needs more evidence, and he just slams his hand in his face. How's this for evidence? No way. Reach your finger in here. Look at my hands. Reach your hand in here. Put it into my side. Don't be unbelieving, but believing. And answer, Thomas answered and said to him, My Lord and my God. Wow. Jesus said, Thomas, because you've seen me, you've believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Instead of looking at Thomas as a doubter, I'd like to point out that he's just one of those guys that needed more information. And the thing is, in this first, in verse 24, that phrase was not with them. He really missed out not being with the disciples. We don't, we don't know where he's at, what he's doing, but he really missed out. And it reminds me of the gathering together that we have as a church family. It's really important that you be together with other believers. It's really important that you're there. It's really important that in the church you're a part of, whether you're visiting here today and you're a part of another church or this is your home, it's really important to be with the saints. It's so important. The Bible commands us in Hebrews chapter 10 not to forsake the gathering of the saints. It's so important. 
It's so important that you come together and be encouraged. It's so important that you're reminded whether you're a church of 10 or a church of 10,000, it's important to come together and worship together and, and just, just be in the atmosphere. It's important that you're here. You can exchange your, you can use your spiritual gifts. It's important because God probably has a word for you. There's, there's some people watching online right now that just didn't have enough strength to be here today. And it's good that you're connected on technology, but the reality is, is technology doesn't replace gathering together. We're going to use technology. This church, you guys, you know, we, we maximize the best that we can technology. And, and we, we want to, and we will, and we'll continue, because that's our world is technology, man. That's, that's what we're into. But, but we're still people, and people need people. And it's important to gather together. Because you may just miss something if you're not here. Now, I know you can listen to the podcast later, but if you listen to the podcast later, you're going to miss, some of you would have missed the touch of the Holy Spirit today just by responding to that anxiety thing. You would have missed it. I don't know where you would have been. We don't know what it might have been. And it's not like God's going to abandon you because eight days later, he shows up to Thomas. So it's not like he's going to abandon you. But we used to sing a song way back in the day where one of the phrases said, Something like, you'll be blessed because you came. You'll be blessed because you came. Whether it's the songs, whether it's just getting out of the house, whether it's opening a Bible, wh- whether it's somebody praying for you, whether, who knows? But you'll be blessed that you came. I'm telling you, this happens more often than not. Sitting down with someone or maybe after a service, somebody comes up and they begin to share what's going on in their life. Uh, You sit down with them to open the Bible with them and they're they're sharing what's going on. About five minutes into the conversation, you have to stop them and say, were you in service on Wednesday night? No, I wasn't in service Wednesday night. I was working. I was, okay, here's what we're going to do. I'm going to pray for you and then you're going to go home and you're going to watch the service on Wednesday night. Because the service on Wednesday night actually answers everything that's on your heart right now. And they go, okay, that's kind of weird, but I'll do it. And you go home and watch the service, and by the time you're 15 minutes into it, you're like, you know what? The Lord spoke. And, and, and it could be that you weren't in service on Wednesday because you didn't want to be. And God had a word for you, and you just weren't here. Now, I know there's a lot of competition uh, for our time and attention. There's a lot of things going on. Uh, but fortunately, we're a fellowship family that has multiple services, multiple opportunities, mo- mo- small groups, things that you can get together with other believers and know that you don't want to be like Thomas. Thomas totally missed out and had to wait another eight days of unbelief. He was doubting all those times, all those eight days, until finally it's like he did want to believe. And the Bible doesn't even say that he did put his hand in. It was enough to be asked to. I mean, I think I'd trip out on that. I think I would just be blown away. Like, yeah, go ahead and go ahead. It's almost like in a gentle way. You doubt? Here's my hand. You doubt? Here's my side. I mean, what a night. And the Lord's so gracious. He'll always come a second time. And and I like what he says in verse 29. Thomas, because you've seen me, you believed. And then he says this. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. You know what he's talking about there? You and me. We're included. Because we haven't seen the risen Christ. We weren't there. We weren't even alive. And yet we still believe. So blessed are you, Jesus says, that haven't seen and believe. You have a little bit more faith 
than Thomas. And when you get to heaven, just go up and talk to him about it and say, hey, Thomas, I know, man, I'm sorry for calling you doubting all those days, but you know, I did have a little more faith than you because I believed when I didn't see. That's the definition of faith, and we'll get into that. That's a big underlying theme of Hebrews, which is going to be great. Verse 30. And truly Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written that you may believe and that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. The whole purpose of John that we looked at when we first started years ago, the whole purpose is that you, you have somebody in your life that doesn't believe, you have somebody in your life that's on the edge, you have somebody in your life that you want to give a Bible to, well, write them a little note and say, read the book of John. Why? Because John was written so that someone might believe and have abundant life. That's the work of the Gospel of John. So Father, as we uh, close our hearts down uh, after this Bible study and just kind of chew on the little lessons that you gave us, um, we just pray for your Holy Spirit to make them come alive and that we might grow in your grace. And, and again, God, we present ourselves to you with the, all the anxious thoughts and all the oppression, all the difficulties, all the concerns and worries. Lord, we cast our cares upon you because you care for us. And the, 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 the reality and the, especially, Lord, I just have a burden right now for, for those that, that are, that are um, just oppressed because they can't control a situation. They really can't do anything but trust you. Would you comfort them today? Would you give them the strength to wait? Uh, the strength to hold fast, Lord? The, your word says that no one can snatch them out of your hands. Even though it feels like that. Nobody can do it. Nothing. Death, life, angels, principalities, powers, nothing can separate us from the love of God. So pour out your love upon us as we head out that you might be glorified in all things. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, we've been in the Gospel of John today on Abounding Grace. Pastor Ed Taylor is our teacher, and he's the pastor at Calvary Church, Aurora, Colorado. You can hear this message again when you visit us online at AboundingGraceRadio.com or hear Abounding Grace through our app. Search for Ed Taylor in the App Store or Google Play to download that for free today. Pastor Ed, today we learned about a man that wanted some more information before he'd believe the news that Jesus was alive. But let's say we have a friend or a family member that is a skeptic, and even after all the evidence is laid before them, they still don't want to believe. How should we handle that situation? Well, you know, Larry, it is a bit disarming, isn't it, and discouraging when we have people that we love so much resist and rebel and refuse to receive the forgiveness of sin through Jesus Christ. And I think, first of all, we need to be very, very careful not to be overcome by our emotions so that we respond or, worse yet, react to the rebellion in a very emotional way, taking things in our own hands. I mean, how should we handle the situation? I like to put it this way, prayerfully and carefully. And we must remember this. We must remember this. We don't save anyone. Only God saves. We get the privilege of planting seeds of the gospel or maybe even watering them, but it's only God that gives the increase. Only He can take a man or a woman and give them new life. I know we know that, but it's good to be reminded. We should continue to pray for them. We should walk carefully, know that we don't need to defend God. We don't need to fight God. We don't need to fight God's battles. 
but by a consistent life of love, care, and concern, sharing the truth prayerfully and carefully, God will use you to minister and continue to serve your friends and family. Be patient. Trust God for His perfect work. It's all in His hands. Ah, that's very helpful. Thanks, Ed. I'd like to suggest our resource of the month, a book by Lee Strobel called The Case for Christmas. Taking the approach of a journalist, Lee Strobel searches out the true identity of the child in the manger. He consults experts on the Bible, archaeology, and messianic prophecy. We'll send it your way when you support Abounding Grace with a gift of $25 or more. And you can place a resource request when you call toll-free at 877-30-GRACE. Again, that's 877-30-GRACE. You can also order resources like this at calvaryco.store. That's calvaryco.store. Please remember this radio ministry is made possible through your generous support. And as the year comes to an end, this would be a wonderful time to hear from you. Help us finish the year strong. To make a donation to the ministry, you can do that online at aboundinggraceradio.com. Thank you again for helping us reach out through the radio with the gospel and truth of Jesus Christ. We'll get back into the Gospel of John next time on Abounding Grace with Pastor Ed Taylor. We'll see you then. This is amazing grace. This is unfailing love. That you would take my place. That you would bear my cross. You Abounding Grace is brought to you by Calvary Church, Colorado, here in Aurora.